this week on Hope for the Broken. Put off the old, put on the new. And what enables you and I to put on the new self is not your own power, but it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is the moment by which we transfer from doing life our own way to allowing Jesus to live in and through us. And this new self enables us to have different rules or different ways to which we relate with one another. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Greater Than. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part six, titled greater than my relational conflicts. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today as we continue our sermon series that we've entitled Greater Than. And and what we're doing over the course of this series, we have a couple more weeks left, but uh, over the course of this series, we're taking a look at several different circumstances that we all find ourselves in, that we face as, uh, as people. These are circumstances that are not uncommon but we often face each of these different circumstances. And and we've taken a look thus far about how Jesus is greater than the grave. We've taken a look at how Jesus is greater than my worry and my anxiety, how he's greater than the challenges that face my family. We took a look at how Jesus is greater than grief. All right, and we uh, last week we took a look at how Jesus is greater even than our failures. And praise God that he is greater than those things. Today, as we approach Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to take a look at how Jesus is greater than relational conflict. Here's the truth. Most of us probably have at least one relationship in our lives that we would say is off kelter. Something just isn't quite right in that relationship or maybe you have a completely broken relationship whether it whether it is a friendship whether it is a a awkward work relationship uh, whether it is a a, a, an awkward relationship with your the coach of your children right or maybe a marriage that seems to be not clicking on all cylinders the point is is that we all have relational conflict and this is a part of navigating everyday life But Jesus gives us a way on which to navigate our relationships that lead to a healthy biblical relationship. And so I want you to know something here today. If if there's a relationship in your life and you feel like, man, it is just far too gone, let me tell you something. Jesus is greater than what it is that separates that relationship. And he can overcome and he can use you. And, and, and these five principles that we're going to talk about today on how to navigate, uh, broken relationships. And so it's my prayer this morning that that we see the clear path that God has given us and how to relate to one another. You know, there are moments in our lives that change everything in our lives. You remember the first time you got to drive in your car alone without your parent telling you to slow down or to turn on your blinker? I mean, that was the freedom that you felt in that moment. I remember going on a mission trip for the first time, forever changed me. Getting married 
forever changes us. It just changed us for the better, right? Uh, but uh, it forever changes us. I brought a picture this moment uh, that captures, or this morning, that captures the moment that my life changed yet again. I want to show you that picture here on the screen. This is uh, Kathy and I with our daughter Carson. Uh, Carson is now 18 years old and she graduated high school yesterday. Uh, and so, but this was the moment that was captured uh, that we were forever changed when we became parents. And when I look at that picture, I'm going, Kathy is still her beautiful self, but what in the world has happened to me? I, I've lost some hair and all kinds of stuff, added some weight and all that good kind of stuff. But anyway, that's a moment that my life forever changed. Having a child changes things. You no longer look at speeding drivers the same. You yell at everybody on the road, right? Uh, you become this defensive uh, uh, driver. I no longer looked at cleanliness the same. Right? We wanted to make sure everything was clean and perfect and pristine. Don't worry, I've gotten over that. It no longer is that case in my life anymore. But when you first have that first child, you want to make sure everything is clean. I no longer look at boys the same. Right? Those of you that are fathers of daughters, can I get a witness? Right? You just don't look at young men the same. Right? Being a parent changes you. Well, the Bible teaches that in much the same way that when we meet Jesus... When we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, in that moment, you are forever changed. Forever changed. You move from this person that's seeking self-desires to this person that has surrendered yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and desiring to order and live your life the way in which He uh, teaches us to live according to His Word. Now, of course, we all battle our sin nature, right? That doesn't go away. But we battle it differently. We no longer easily give in to the things of this world, but instead we choose to operate under a different set of rules. We are forever changed. In the first chapter of Ephesians, uh, we learn that, that when we receive the message of Jesus Christ, when we receive the gospel, in that moment we also receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, it gives us the power to operate what is called a new self, that the old is gone. The former way of living, apart from the Lordship of Christ, has been surrendered, has left us. And behold, we have a new self. And that's the setup here for when we get into, when Paul starts teaching in, uh, in Ephesians 4 about relationships. Remember, when it comes to studying the scriptures, context is vitally important, right? And so I want to set the stage for what Paul teaches us regarding healthy biblical relationships in beginning in verse 22 through 24 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old, put on the new. And what enables you and I to put on the new self is not your own power. It's not your own willpower, but it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is the moment by which we transfer from doing life our own way to allowing Jesus to live in and through us. The Apostle Paul in Galatians also said that he has been crucified with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but it is Jesus who lives in 
and through me. And that's what it means to live in the new self. And this new self enables us to have different rules or different ways in which we relate with one another. We see that played out in verses 25 through 32. Five changes new life in Christ brings to our relationships. That's the focus this morning. The number one thing that we'll see is that the new self moves falsehood into honesty. Falsehood into honesty. Paul says in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. See, in our old self, Paul is saying, you've got to put it away. You've got to put away the old self. And part of that means that when it comes to our relationships, we put away the old self that is filled with deceit. It is, the, it is the self that often believes false things about others. It's the self that used to speak falsehood to others. But the new self speaks truth and believes truth in relationships. In other words, it's all about being authentic, being real. If Paul was writing in modern day vernacular, those of you that are students in the room, you'll get this, hopefully, and it may even be passe by now. That's how old I am. But Paul would say, keep it 100 right? 100%. Be real. Be authentic. See, here's what happens in our relationships so many times. In our old self, we want to uh, operate according to the fear of man, and so therefore we present ourselves in a certain kind of way, or, or we say things in order to build what other people think of us, and we're more concerned about what other people think of us. But what Paul is saying is, listen, don't be motivated by the old self. Be motivated by the new self. Be authentic. Be who God has created you to be and be real. Live according to Christ and be real. The word falsehood, when he says put away falsehood, is a general word that is used in the New Testament that simply means lying. But this word lying is used two different ways in the New Testament. First, there's lying by what we say, what comes out of our mouth, whether it be an embellishment or be a complete uh, denial of what is true. That's a lie. But secondly, uh, the word follows the idea that we lie by what we don't say. In other words, broken relationships function in falsehood by speaking and believing dishonest things, but also by presenting dishonest things because we should present one way, but yet we present another way. Have you ever been guilty of these, right? Allowed the fear of man to, to lead you to operate outside of authenticity. We don't want to cause trouble, so we think we're just going to stuff our feelings down inside or what we're thinking or, or ever felt like you wanted to, to be somebody you're not and so you embellished something about your life. Now, the end result of operating a relationship that way leads to a wedge that is forever present in that relationship. I think it's important to know that biblical healthy relationships do not mean that they're free from tension. You and I are sinful people. We live in a sinful fallen world. We do things to hurt one another. We say things that hurt one another. There will forever be this sense of tension. But communication and authenticity is the key to fighting that tension. And here's what Paul says. He says, for we are members one of another. We are members. 
Paul often talks about, especially when he talks about the church, about it being like a healthy body, right? There are many different uh, body parts. There are many different functions. There are things that are seen. There are things that are unseen, right? And there are things that are behind the scenes. And, And your body functions when each person is playing its role and there is healthy communication between your body. Dysfunction within your body is created whenever there lacks to be uh, clear communication in your body. Let me give you an example. If someone were to be in an accident and have their spinal cord severed, communication between the brain and an extremity is therefore severed. And when that part of the body is in pain, the brain doesn't know about it anymore. But in a healthy body, every part communicates with every part. And it does so with authenticity. I hurt. Therefore, I need to let you know that I hurt. And so we are to speak truthfully. Now, some of you are all kinds of excited because you're like, I come to church, I've got this relationship. You know that person in your mind, you can see them and you're going, this pastor is telling me I can give them the what for. And I can't wait. Monday morning, when I get into the office, I'm just going to tell them how how the cow ate the cabbage, right? And I'm going to give them the what for because pastor said that that's the case. Well, that's not exactly what Paul is saying here. Remember the context. Yes, we are to have authenticity in our relationships. But in verse 15, earlier in the chapter, Paul says, instead, speaking the truth in love. Yes, speak the truth but you do so in love. To say that I can speak the truth and I can speak my mind without any recourse is not what Paul is driving at. What is important is to realize that you can't forego truth for the sake of love and you can't forego love for the sake of truth. The great pastor Adrian Rogers said it this way, loveless truth is brutal, but truthless love is is hypocrisy. Love and truth is necessary. I love that. That's true, right? We present what is authentic. We present what we really think. We put away falsehood. We focus upon the truth, but we do so in a spirit of love for one another because we are members one of another. So putting on the new self benefits relationships by turning falsehood into honesty. The second thing the new self does in regards to relationship is turn anger into righteousness. Turns anger into righteousness. Look at verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 4. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, at first glance, this seems contradictory here. Be angry, but don't be angry. What's going on here? Well, those two words, angry and anger, are two different words in the original text. The first word, be angry, means to be convicted. You are bothered. Something happens, an injustice happens, you notice it, and deep down within your spirit, you are angry. You are bothered. You're convicted. But the second word, when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger... It is a word that means a seething, resentful response. The first Paul says is not sin, but the second one is sinful. You know, the Lord Jesus, perfect in all of his ways, sinless, becoming the ultimate sacrifice for your sin and mine because of his perfection, 
Did you know Jesus demonstrated what it was to be angry and not sin? In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus encounters what is happening in the temple courts. And he gets angry. He gets convicted to his core about it. Matthew 21, beginning verse 12, says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and of the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus was angry, but it was based upon a conviction, a godly conviction. And so therefore it was a righteous anger. But you know, most of the time, we don't respond in that kind of anger if we're honest, right? I can remember when our boys were little and they would do something that would just make me mad. You'd ever discipline your kids out of anger? Me? I'm the only one? Okay, good. All right, so I'll just preach to myself here. Uh, but, but whenever you are uh, seething anger, when you're that sinful kind of anger, you never make wise choices. You never make wise choices. And the choices that you do make in the midst of that seething anger is something that causes damage to relationships. I've been guilty of it. I bet you you have been guilty of the same thing too. But instead, we should focus our being upset based upon something that, that is a godly conviction, a righteous anger. Now, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. And then he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's the second word, seething anger. I think I love the scriptures because of its authenticity. It's, it's, Paul is talking about you're going to have times where you have experienced seething anger. You're going to be upset with somebody or something or, or some way that you've been mistreated. You're going to have a seething anger. That's sinful, though. But he says, even in that case, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because that kind of anger is an anger that won't let go. It's an anger that sticks with you when you wake up in the morning and you carry it into your entire day. It's an anger that allows uh, bitterness towards somebody, grudge towards somebody. This is an anger that Paul says you've got to get rid of. Don't allow that kind of anger to linger. It's dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Look at verse 27 again. And give no opportunity to the devil. Listen, beloved, when you allow a seething anger to turn into bitterness, you have opened the door for the enemy to do his destructive work in your life and in the life of others. Don't give the devil a foothold. Do not give him leverage in your life by holding on to a seething anger. Don't let the sun go down on that anger. So the new self, the redeemed self, builds relationships among one another by turning falsehood into honesty and anger into righteousness. Thirdly, by turning selfishness into selflessness. Look at verse 28. Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, at first glance, 
you can kind of see how Paul is dealing with this area of biblical healthy relationships and how to overcome broken relationships. But the thief, what does that have to do with relationships? Well, the two key words in those two verses is steal and share. Steal and share. See, stealing focuses on what I can get from somebody else. Sharing focuses on what I can give to somebody else. This is the difference between being selfish and being selfless. You and I steal in our relationships when we believe that others exist to meet my need. That's what they're there for. They're there to meet my need. That's selfishness. But when you seek to invest in other people's lives and to be a person that shares in all aspects, then you become a person that is selfless. You're more concerned about what you can give and not what you get. I can't tell you the number of couples that come into my office and they're encountering some difficulty in their relationship. And one of the key things that seems to be common in those circumstances is someone is looking for what they can get out of it and it expresses itself in this way. Well, she doesn't meet my needs. Or, or somebody will say, well, they frustrate me all the time. They, they push my buttons all the time. And what's happening there is those two people are expressing, what am I supposed to get out of this relationship? And they are no longer focusing on what they're to give to the relationship. And so it's vitally important, if we're going to have healthy relationships, that we not focus on what we get out of it, but what we give to it. And Paul says that this takes work, effort. He uses the word labor. It's difficult at times. One commentator I read this week said this, a Christian's desire should be for the purpose of being able to give more and to help more. How might our relationships in our lives, how might our marriages, how might society operate differently if we were more focused on what we give instead of what we get? You know what highlighted to me uh, the selfishness of our culture? It was a pandemic. I remember when we were... um, the world shut down when we were on a vacation to the Grand Canyon. And I went to the grocery store there in Arizona to get food for the night's meal. And I happened to walk by the paper product aisle. You guys know where I'm going on this? You look down there and you're like, that's weird. There's no toilet paper. And then you start thinking, we've missed something. Like, I don't know what's happening, but we need to get toilet paper. So we went back to our room and we started stuffing toilet paper rolls in our suitcases. Like everybody's grabbing paper, toilet paper. I got to have toilet paper, right? And you realize this sense of selfishness, right? You look out for number one. You got to take care of yourself, right? And, and we, we have this tendency to become so selfish in our relationships too. And, and I think what Paul is telling us, don't be so concerned about what you get. Be more concerned about what you give. I heard one pastor say this, maybe God doesn't have that person in your life for what they can do for you. Maybe God has that person in your life because of what he desires to do in their life through you. And again, Jesus models this. Jesus is our model. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, he says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to to death, even death on a cross. It is impossible for us to operate selflessly in our relationships apart from a relationship with Jesus. Our old self is self-centered, but the new self is others-centered. Take marriage, for example. One of the reasons that couples cannot resolve differences is because they're stealing in their marriage. What can I get instead of what can I give? So put on the new self. Benefits relationships by turning falsehood into honesty, anger into righteousness, selfishness into selflessness. Fourthly, it turns corrupt talk into grace-filled talk. Verses 29 and 30. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know this. Our words are just like toothpaste. Once it's out, it can't go back in. There is no redacting words that have been spoken. And scriptures are full of warning us about how we speak. You consider James, he said, consider what kind of forest fire is set ablaze by a small spark. And he relates that very same truth to the tongue. The tongue is powerful. In Proverbs, there's a great verse there. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's power. To have both death and to have both life in the tongue. I want to give you three aspects of how we need to change corrupt talk into grace-filled talk. First, we need to be careful in what we say. Be careful in what we say. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. The word corrupting is a word that means rotten, ruined, repulsive, as in rotten fruit. Have you ever forgot about bananas being on your countertop? And after a couple of weeks, go to pick one up. You can't even touch it. It's so disgusting. You know what I'm talking about? Like when, a, when you pick up a banana and it folds in half, it is not a good thing. It's repulsive. And you do everything you can to not even touch it. That's the, that's the word Paul uses whenever he says, let no corrupt talk, let no rotten, disgusting, defiling talk come out of your mouth. And Paul says, but only let what comes out of your mouth that is such as good for building up. In other words, we need to watch what we say. But we need to also watch when we say it. You can say the right thing at the wrong time. Have you ever done that? Paul says, as fits the occasion. Proverbs 25.11 captures this perfectly. He says, a word fitly spoken. Fitly means it's appropriate. It's in the right spot 
fitly spoken, is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It's possible to say the right thing at the wrong time. So we have to be careful what we say. We have to be careful when we say it. But thirdly, we need to be careful how we say it. It is possible to say the right thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. Or the right thing at the right time in the wrong way. Right? It's possible. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion. Why? That it may give grace to those who hear. You may have the right thing to say, and you may have the right time to say it, but are you saying it in a way that gives grace? An encouraging word, perfectly timed with love, gives grace to those who hear. Proverbs 15.1 says it this way, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we have to be careful what we say, when we say it, and how we go about saying it. The new self in Christ helps us to do that. So we turn falsehood to honesty, anger to righteousness, selfishness to selflessness, corrupt talk into grace-filled talk, and fifthly, finally, bitterness into forgiveness. Look at verses 31 through 32. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. But instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Scripture tells us in multiple places to avoid bitterness taking root. Why would Scripture be so adamant about us not allowing bitterness to take root in our lives? Well, the fruit of bitterness, once that root has been established, It continues to be watered and it grows. It yields fruit. But the fruit that bitterness yields in our life is the list of all the things Paul mentioned in the first verse, 31. Wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. These are not what Christ's followers produce. These, in fact, are the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit, are they not? Christ produces within us the fruits of the Spirit. Bitterness produces that which is opposite. Instead, we are to put on the new self and to extend forgiveness. And when we forgive others, we display kindness and tenderheartedness. That is Christ living in and through us. Now, I hate this phrase that Paul has to add in here. In verse 32, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Ouch. He's driving us to why we should be people that offer forgiveness. We should be forgiving people. Why? Because we have been forgiven. When we remember the state of our own heart, when I remember the the filth, where were you? When Jesus found you? Where was I when Jesus found me? And still the ugliness of my heart has a tendency to rear up in my life and produce hurtful things in and through my life. But God has forgiven me much. It is important to remember the degree to which you have been forgiven. 
Because when we remember the devastation of sin and the forgiveness offered in Jesus, we become people who want to extend forgiveness. And Jesus is the one who taught, the one who has been forgiven much is the one who also does what? Loves much. You remember the parable whenever we talked about how uh, a, a man was forgiven of his debt and then that man went and begged of the other persons that, that owed him to pay him? We talked about how that's hypocrisy. How he had forgotten all of the forgiveness of his own debt. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should be people that return the favor. You and I have been forgiven. Therefore, we need to be people that forgive. What if our love for one another could become like breathing? With each inhale, we take the, the thought about the incredible grace of God that we have experienced throughout our life. The times that God has been faithful to us. The grace found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That kind of inhale gives us life, doesn't it? Thank you, God. I take in your forgiveness. I take in your grace. I take in your mercy. And then consider as we exhale, thinking about the closest relationships we have, and then taking the same grace that we have breathed in and breathing that out on others. The husband thinking, you don't know what she's like and how she frustrates me. You're right. But do you somehow deserve God's unconditional love any more than her? Breathe in God's grace. Breathe out God's grace. The wife thinking, you don't understand how lazy he is. I do everything. You're right. But do you deserve God's compassion any more than him? Breathe in God's mercy. Breathe out God's mercy. The friend thinking, you don't know how they've gone behind my back. You're right. But is there anyone outside of the grace of God? If the Lord has been gracious to you, can't he be gracious to them? Breathe in God's kindness and breathe out God's kindness. Breathe in so you can extend out. Always hold in view that which God has done for you in Christ. Because when we do that, we let go of bitterness and we embrace forgiveness. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online simply log on to trinitytx.org 
and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.